welcome to another episode of this black love i am your host jay marie and thank you all for coming back for another week of this black love as you know today is february 19 2021 we're still well into black history month i hope some of the facts that i've given you in previous episodes you've been looking into these people getting to know these people and doing other research as well. So I want to, first and foremost, thank everyone who continues to share, continues to tune in each and every Friday between 2 to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you guys so, 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 so much. You know you can listen on all different platforms, one being Anchor, which is what I use to record my episodes, which is totally free. So if you're thinking about starting a podcast, give Anchor a try. You'll be very surprised at what you can do on here. Also, you know, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and any other listening device. And you know that um, I just had a brain fart, (laughs) my bad. But you know that Spotify is connected with Anchor, so you can always listen on Spotify. So if you're thinking about starting a podcast and you want your podcast to reach thousands, maybe millions of people, um, use Anchor, excuse me, who is sponsored by Spotify, who can get you out there to any and everyone. So that's always a plus, right? <laughs> so um, today's episode, I do want to talk about another known African-American or Black lady. I know that the past two Fridays I did women. This week, I am going to do another woman. Unfortunately, I did not leave you fellas out. My The one for next week is going to be a male, so you guys can learn all about him, which you guys probably already know him, but I'm going to save that for next week. This week, we're talking about Miss Phyllis Whitley. Um, her last name Peters. <laughs> she has a hyphenated last name because she did get married, but her name is Phyllis Whitley Peters. Okay, so um, she was the first African American poet ever. Before there was any black poet, there was Phyllis Whitley. Now. Phyllis Whitley is not her given name. She was born in in she excuse me. Let me let me get hold on. First of all, let me get myself together. Let's 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 get it together, Jessica. Okay, all right. So she was born in 1753 in West Africa. So she was not born in the United States, but in West Africa, which is awesome if you ask me. Now, um, West Africa is most likely in present-day Gambia or Senegal. So, if you wanted to track where she's from, that's where West, the part of West Africa in present-day that she was raised in. Um, she died on December 5th, 1784 in Boston, Massachusetts. Like I stated, she was the first African-American poet which to all my poetry lovers out there this will you know be a homage to you this is where poetry in the black community basically started with Phyllis Whitley but like I stated they didn't give her birth name but they gave the name that her masters gave her and I'll get into all of that now most of her notable works were poems on various subjects um and also religious and um you know, morale type of poems. Now, she was married to a man named John Peters. I'll get into him a little bit later when we get to know a little bit more about her. So, when she was young, she was sold by a local chief to a visiting trader who took her to Boston in the British colony of Massachusetts on July 11th 1761 so she was already she was a little girl basically when she when she was sold off now she was enslaved by John Whitley and Susan Whitley 
that's how she got the last name. They were a wealthy Boston merchant and tailor family. Now he bought John bought young girls as slaves for his wife Susanna. Both John and Susanna gave Phyllis her name, named after the ship that bore her to, bore her from West Africa. So the ship name, I mean the slave ship was called the Phyllis. So that's how she got her first name, Phyllis, which is the ship that bought her from West Africa to uh, Boston. And the last name Whitley was from the Whitleys. So that's how she got her name, Phyllis Whitley, which is very, <laughs> we're not going to go there, but <laughs> if you catch my drift, <laughs> you, mm, mm, mm. that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay, so Mary, which was John and Susan's daughter, and Nathaniel, their son, taught Phyllis how to read and write. By 12, Phyllis was reading Greek and Latin in their original languages. Now, at 14, Phyllis wrote her first poem called To the University of Cambridge, which is, of course, Harvard in New England. Now, John allowed Phyllis to get her education while other slaves, other black slaves worked for them, you know, waited on them hand and foot and things like that now the Whitley's showed Phyllis off to their family and friends that she can read and that she do poetry and she could speak all these languages like they showed her off as like a prize so to speak because she was she was different from the other black girls now it does not state that Phyllis was a fair skin I don't think that she was. She was more of the brown skin complexion. So I don't think she was treated differently because of her the fair of her skin. So I don't want you to get that. But if you look online, they do show you different photographs of her. And you can the photographs that they capture captured of her, you they, it'll show you. Um now Phyllis was influenced by Alexander Pope, John Milton, Homer, Horace, and Virgil. And that's when she began to write poetry because of them, because they greatly influenced her. I guess that's what um, the Whitley's children, you know, allowed her to read and she gravitated to them. So that's what motivated her to write poems. Now at 20, Phyllis went to London with Nathaniel to get better health care because she had asthma. And so I guess, you know, in the 1700s, of course, medicine wasn't like it is now back then. So I guess London was the place to go. They were more advanced. Now there she had, when she went to London, she had audiences of the Lord Mayor in London, King George III, and others. Now, Selena Hastings became interested in Phyllis and subsidized the publication of Whitley's volume of poems, which appeared in London in the summer of 1773. So here this lady is. She finds Phyllis and is taken aback by her poetry that she's able to, I guess that was her first publish, publish, publisher. If I'm saying it right, <laughs> I'm trying to bring it to lamest terms so that, you know, I can understand and you guys can understand as well that um, she was published in the 1700s by a woman named Selena Hastings. All right. So <clears throat> Phyllis was emancipated also in 1773 by the Whitley. Susan, which was a wife, died the spring of 1773, and John died a few years later in 1778. Now, after their passings, Phyllis met John Peters and married him. He was a free black grocer, so he was, you know, he wasn't enslaved. They lived in 
poor conditions and two of their babies died. So it doesn't show that she has any living children. It just shows that she had children, but they died. Now, John, her husband, was imprisoned for debt that he owed in 1784, which left Phyllis with a sickly infant. So she became a scullery maid to provide for her and her sick infants, which she never done before. She'd never been that type of maid, so it was kind of hard for her. Um, she died on, like I said, December 5th, 1784, at the age of 31, and her infant, her infant died soon after. Now, some of her poetry was online, um, one of them being, is called, On Being Brought from Africa to America. Um, I, I want to read it, but it's really, oh, here it is. It, it, it reads, Twas mercy brought me from my peg, pagan land, taught my taught my benighted soul to understand that there's a God, that there's a Savior too. Once I redemption neither sought nor knew. Some view our sable race with scornful eyes. Their color is a diabolic dye. Remember Christians, Negroes, Blacks, and Canes may be refined and join the the angelic train. <laughs> sorry, I sorry I messed that up, but that was one of the poems from her wrote in the 1770s. Um, so that's one of the poems she wrote. She did have a the book that was published was poems on various subjects religious and morals that was the name of the book um, that was published in 1773 that the lady um, Selena Hastings published for her so that was um, that was how she was published now it does say that many colonists found it difficult to believe that an African slave was writing excellent poetry so like I said, this that's why I said she was the very first person to really, in the black culture, introduce poetry. And I think it's really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I think it's really commendable of the Whitleys that they allowed her to learn how to read, learn how to write and comprehend and everything that the Whitleys taught her, the children taught her that she was able to turn that into something great for her, being a poet. Most people don't know that she was the first black poet. When you hear poetry, a lot of people think about Langston Hughes or um, they think about um Oh my God, it's like, I'm, you guys don't understand how much of a brain fart that I'm having right now. Maya Angelou, you think of people like that. You think of Maya Angelou, the first one. When, when I hear poetry for the black community, my first thought goes to Maya Angelou. I think she was like the pioneer, the starter, you know, she's it to me that's just my opinion and my feeling but now we now know that Phyllis Whitley Peters was the actual very first African-American woman to write poetry now she may be the first woman I'm not sure who the first man was but because of slavery and most of the ancestors our ancestors you know they they wrote songs and they sang songs and they wrote poetry and they you know to help them get their mind off of the situations that they were in during slavery especially in the you know the really hard times and trying to escape and things like that so look up you know it's it's a lot of information out there on miss uh whitley peters um 
so I mean it, it, it's a lot I don't want to give all of it to you I want you to look for it yourself look it up yourself look and see you know learn about someone new for Black History Month you know don't let it all be the same people that you study each and every year you know look for people that like this whole month I've been looking for people who you know were at the beginning of the times not in the early 1900s but back in the 1800s and the 1700s who were the black people that were making a difference who were who are who should be you know not dimming the light on any other person that we study in black history but just shining a light on the ones who get looked over from time to time so that's just what I want to do you can take it how you want it's not you know putting a damper on anyone else it's not you know saying one person is greater than the other because everyone in black history who were our ancestors they all did a a monumental thing to be recognized and I feel like they all should be recognized every single month not just the same people in February but every single month every single day of the year we should be knowing about our people studying our people so we know how to move and do things you know because we don't always have to be in a box because remember they want to put us in a box and keep us keep us in a box and if we move out of that box and tap into our real and raw potential we could be great we could be in history we go down in history as great people all great people all great people in the black community can be history makers movers and shakers so I just wanted to put that out there give you a little bit of a nugget for black history (laughs) so um with that being said um I really didn't have nothing planned that I wanted to talk about, but I did want to um, go over something that I had a conversation with my cousin with. Like, we we talk for hours all the time, and our conversations can go from here to there, here to there, and um, some of the things that we talked about really like stood out really you know like made a difference in my thinking and everything so one of the conversations that we talked about was (coughs) parenting styles because all of those who maybe parents can understand that there is no right or wrong way to discipline a child to um, raise a child to whatever everything there's no manual there's no manuscript or anything on how to be an effective parent a good parent if you're a bad parent whatever we as humans and in our community, we go by what we already know. And then sometimes you go by what you already know, but you want to put a twist on it because you don't want to raise your children how you how your parents raised you. Some people was brought up in the era where beatings were acceptable. Some people are brought up in air in the era where beatings is abuse. Some people are brought up in the era where you just give your child any and everything or you spoil them or you don't really chastise them you you do what you do and the reason why this comes up because the reason why I want to talk about this because a lot of trauma could come from your upbringing or how you're raising your children or how you was raised my bad I had to drink some water my mouth was getting dry there But a lot of people, some of their trauma comes from childhood. 
and it's not to say that your parents were bad or your parents were mean or you know they didn't love you or things like that no they just knew what they were taught or what they weren't taught you know you have a lot of people who were brought up with parents who were never home you got people who parents worked all the time and provided for the children but the children didn't receive any love attention or affection then you have those who parents were not together and they were raised in single family homes so the parent is a parent is missing and then the other parent is missing because they have to provide for the children in the house so you have a single parent and then you have the parents that were never there they were strung out or they were doing other things putting their life before their child now another reason why I wanted to hear on this subject is because I was scrolling through Facebook one day and I was I came across this video where this guy was on the Judge Mathis show and he was suing his mom I didn't see the whole episode I just seen this one little clip just like it was like a third like a I don't even want to, I want to say like 20 25 minute clip where the son was just like you were never there for me like my grandmother raised me you told me to my face that you love yourself more than you love me and she continually told that to him so now he's thinking like my mama don't love me like that trauma can sit with me my own mama who carried me for nine months birthed me says she doesn't love me as much as she loved herself and that can be taken one of two ways like okay maybe she doesn't love me enough or she doesn't love me at all and he had to grow up with that his whole life so when judge mathis asked her she said yes i did tell my son that and she was like i didn't tell him that like he's seeing him all the time um every chance i got i told him that i don't love him she just said that She told that to him one time and that she had to take care of herself. So to me, that can hurt a child. That can live with a child forever. That can be a child's um, fear. Like, He's, he or she is not adequate enough. Like, what did I do to make them not love me? Like, what what did I do? What is it? So now he's going around thinking this stuff his whole entire life. Now, mind you, he lived with aunts and grandma and things like that. Now, the mother's excuse was she felt like if she didn't love herself how can she love her child how can she love someone else so I have to love me first before I can love my child that was this woman's thought process she said she was in the military she went into the military in 1987 the best year ever that's when I was created I mean I was born anywho that was a tangent anyway she um she went to the military in 1987. She was stationed and, um, you know, she was stationed places and, you know, she did her little, her whatever she did in the military. And she came home and she felt like, okay, I'm home. Now I have to make a way. So now that I have to make a way, I'm going to leave my son with some family members while I go to school. She moved to DC. Shout out DC. That's why I'm born. To go to Harvard University. And she went to Harvard University and she was struggling. She couldn't make ends meet. So she was like, okay, so I'm not, I'm not stable yet. So I'm going to let my son stay with whomever. I mean, my family, not, not whoever. Sorry, I didn't say that. My family while I get myself together. That was this woman's logic. She felt like she had to be perfect or or held to a certain standard to raise her son all the while he's being raised by aunts and uncles and grandmas whomever with this thought that my mother doesn't love me because she doesn't love herself whatever his thought process was that's what he was thinking 
that's from what I got from this video. My, it, that's what I got from this video. And I'm just like, wow, people really think this? Like, now, I understand when you're in a relationship with your partner, where it says you have to love yourself before you can love somebody else. I understand that. But when you're saying to your child that you can't love, you have to love yourself before you love them, that's putting hurt in in all types of things in that child's mind, in their thinking process, how they how they come you don't understand the psychological damage she was doing to her son by saying that. Most of you may think like maybe she's right. She needed to get herself together um, to make a better life in a way for her son. But she never, never in the little clip did I hear her say she went back because she felt like she loved herself enough to get her son and be the great mom that she knows she can be. Like I didn't, like I said, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I'm just assuming that she finished college and by that time her son is grown now. He's a teenager because remember, in his early life, he, she was, she was in the military. So by the time he, she got home, he was probably getting ready to go into his teen years, and by that time he's already developed to like his mother not being there she already told him like yo I don't love you I gotta love myself first before I love you because in the, even though she may have said to him like even though she may have said to him baby I need to love myself before I love you I gotta get myself together before I can take care of you so I'm gonna leave you with them because I I can't even say it right because it's in his, I can just, from a child's point of view, that's like saying, I don't love you. I'm going to focus on me. Deuces. In lamest terms. So that's how he probably interpreted, even though she may not have meant it that way. That's what I was trying to get to. Sorry it took me a long time. Sometimes I think a detour would be like that. Bear with me. You guys love me. Because I love you guys. Anyway. But... That stuck with him forever. And like he laid into her in that clip that I seen. And I was just like, okay, I understand you're hurt. And I understand that you feel a certain type of way. But like, okay, you you tearing into her. But I, I can understand why he did because, you know, she left that impression on him and he had to deal with being with other family members and being with with his mom and now I don't know how he was disciplined when he was growing up I don't know you know they didn't go into you know how he was raised due to not being with his mother whatever the case may be but that type of thing can be psychologically damaging to a child to grow up to be an adult now he may have kids of his own and he may be like an overprotective dad or a hovering dad and a hovering dad is like someone who's always in their child's life no matter what like they celebrate every moment of their child's life just I'm just I'm just going off like what if or if he is a dad you know what I'm saying because I don't know his story but if he is to become a dad or if he is a dad he may be that dad that suffocates their child because he know what it felt like to to have his own mother say that she doesn't love him so being an overprotective dad or a hovering dad or a smothering dad his kids may grow up like oh my god like why is he like this like uh this is annoying especially when your kid is getting that teenage stage and the hormones be raging and they think they know everything and all that good jazz <laughs> like I understand like some people don't like to be covered some people want their space whatever whatever but what I really wanted to just you know shine some light on is be very 
conscious of how you treat your children, how you talk to them, how you communicate with them, the line of communication that needs to be open. I'm not saying be your child's friend. Please do not misinterpret what I'm saying to being your child's friend. That is not what I'm saying. There should be a respect level between you and your child. Your child should know that you are the parent, (coughs) excuse me, that you are the sole provider, and that you take care of them until they're 18. Excuse me, I think that water went down the wrong way. Excuse me, (coughs) y'all. My apologies. But I didn't want y'all to think I had corona. Because I coughed, because now you can't cough or sneeze or do anything without people saying corona. But anyway. Anyway. But I think that lines of communication needs to be open. And there should be a respect factor. Your child should understand that you're the adult, no matter how old you are when you have your child. Because, you know, children, I mean, teenagers are having children and, you know, Grown-ups are having children. Like, whatever era you were raised up in, sometimes you got to wipe what you were taught or what your, um, your cycle is. You have to wipe that away when it comes to the newer generation, the newer kids that are coming up because they weren't like us. They have this I don't care mentality. They will kill you and don't care and won't think twice and keep it pushing. Like, I'm not saying like, that's what every child is going to do but I'm just saying they have that I don't care I'm not scared attitude and you have to be very cautious like I didn't understand this until my son my son is teaching me everything even though I have two children my son is teaching me every single day every single day and I have to remind him as well as remind myself that hey I'm the adult I don't have to please you. I'm not asking you to please me, but you there will be a respect and there will be a line that has to be drawn. I do want you to come to me when you have issues or when you have problems or whatever the case may be. I would rather you come to me and tell me than to hear it from somebody else. I would rather you be able to trust me because other people out there is not going to be so trusting like I am. That's what I'm saying. Like, I used to beat my son, like, when he was little and he used to do things bad or he was out of line. I used to pop him, spank him, things like that. Not beat him, like, beat him, beat him. But, you know, and then he was a boy, so I had to be a little harder, a little tougher, gave him a little toothpiece, pop, pop, you know what I'm saying? And I realized that method was not working because he still did what he wanted to do and suffered the consequences later. So... I mean, I had to jack him up, let him know, because my son, he's he's taller than me now. And I'm five, eight and a half. I'm not claiming that because that's that I'm tall for a woman. Just just know I'm really tall for a woman. And my son is taller than me now. And I have to let him know and understand that you may think you grown and you're gonna buck up and raise up and you got your little muscles going on. But let me let you know <laughs> that these mommy muscles don't play, okay? Because I will fight you like you would nigga in the street. Like, I hate to say the word, that word, but I will fight you like you would dude in the street and I don't know you. Like, don't get it twisted. You know what I'm saying? But I'm not trying to instill fear in him. Like, I want him to fear me. It's just that that level of respect should be known and however you I'm not telling you how you should parent don't get me wrong I'm not telling you that this is how you should parent your child whatever whatever what I'm saying is we have to think differently especially in the black community because we're used to spanking our child whooping our child hitting them with shoes belts whatever because that's what happened to us the stitching cords all that good a pot pan whatever our parents could get their hands on that's what they beat us with now I've been beaten with a brush before whatever mainly belts but my grandmother she she she's from the old school my grandmother that passed away 
a few years ago, she was old school. She would make you pick your switch off the tree. And if you came back with a little, little teeny one, she would go out there and get it. She wouldn't even with a switch before. That stuff hurts. But that's how she was raised. She was raised off of Sweden. Now, my grandmother, she's from, they from the South, North Carolina. My, my people's from the Carolinas, okay? <laughs> but that's what they did. And that's how they were disciplined. You know, and they didn't know, they don't know any better. And now when their grandmothers and great-grandmothers and great-great-grandmothers, now most of them, of course, are dying off because of old age. And we don't have grandmas like that no more. The grandmas are younger and younger and younger, and they're like acting like teenagers. But that's neither here nor there. But those grandmas, like if they were still living now, they wouldn't be as strict on their grandkids that they were on their kids because they've gotten older in age. Their patience are their patience are like it's not as thin anymore. They're settled in their ways, and that's just them. Because I look at it now, like my children now, like my mom, she ain't play that. Like my mom, my dad, oh my, we, my, my dad, my dad ain't. Let me tell you, my father, hey, I was scared to do any and everything, but I still, yeah, anyway, <laughs> I was scared to do anything, like, bring home bad grades, um, have boys in the house, um, keep the house dirty, didn't do my chores, didn't do my homework, I was scared to do things because I knew I was going to get in trouble. Now, <laughs> with his grandchildren, <laughs> He is a different man, but you have to understand he's older now. He, but my father is very, he's still athletic. He's my, you see my father, a lot of people still have crushes on my dad. I'm going to just keep it like that. Okay. My father is black don't crack. Okay. (laughs) But needless to say, needless to say that, um, my, um, I'm sorry. I, thought that my headphones went out just give me a second guys but um needless to say that grand you know people are different now you know they're they're older you know they are not who they used to be you know when they were younger so you have to know when to draw the line just give me one second y'all just give me one second I need to get my headphones because I don't want this to um cut off on me sorry y'all I probably edit this out right on 38 Okay, sorry about that, but like I was saying, like, my father now is totally different than what he was, so I ain't mad at him. I do apologize about that. I had to switch earphones um, because my I'm not recording on my laptop. I'm, comp- I'm recording on my phone and um, my AirPods did die on me. So I had to go back to the ones with the cord. You know what I'm saying? I keep the old school and your new school together. <laughs> but um, where I left off is that my dad... You know, he's a changed man now. He's older now. Like I said, he's still athletic and he still can, you know, do what he do. But as far as, like, his patience, his patience is not the same, you know. So, you know, he he still don't tolerate no mess or no disrespect or nothing like that. But, but you know, my, my phone only gets rowdy when he wants to. Now, he'll talk to you. 
he'll talk to me. If, when I was growing up, I didn't have that side of him. I wish I did have that side of him, you know, where he did more talking <laughs> rather than, you know, whoopings. But, you know, I'm appreciative of what he did instill in me. So, you know, I'm able to be the adult that I am today. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, big shout out to my dad. <laughs> I don't know if he listens to my podcast. I need to see because anyway, but um, I do just want to, you know, let you guys know, like, don't be afraid to to have conversations with your children. You know, they are people too. Even though they're little people, you can talk to them you know regular you don't have to make it because what you what you don't understand or what we as parents what we lack in understanding is that they comprehend very well they are sponges where they soak up everything everything that is new to them if that's something they're like oh this is how that's supposed to be done that's what they're going to do or if it's like something negative like oh okay so if you do that that's a negative outcome okay let me keep that in the storage bank like they are sponges they will soak up everything so just be mindful of how you're saying things and doing things like you wonder why like dang that child can cut so good like how he well how he or she know how to do that because what they see their parents do remember your children are a reflection of you so if they see you carrying on like that what you think they gonna do they gonna carry on how you carry on so you have to be very mindful of what you're setting in front of i'm not telling you how to be an adult if you want to do what you want to do that's fine but if we're going to change our mindset and be better as a people we have to realize our faults we have to realize where we mess up at because we as adults mess up it's okay to tell your children that you were wrong it's okay to tell your children that you messed up that doesn't mean you're less of a parent that doesn't mean you're weak that doesn't mean that you don't that they're going to lose respect for you i think that it'll give them more respect for you when you admit that you're wrong because we're not always right like the saying i remember on matilda when they was like i'm right you're wrong i'm big you're small that little whole thing that's not how it is anymore it's okay to apologize to your children. I apologize to my children when I know I'm not being a good mother. I may not have done it in a while, and you know, I maybe needed to, you know, have a little sit-down powwow with them and let them know, hey, mommy was wrong, but that doesn't mean that you lose respect for me as your mother. That doesn't mean that you get to disrespect me as your mother. No, I'm coming to you, letting you know, like, okay, the way I handled that situation or the way I said or what I said to you or how I treated you was wrong and you shouldn't, I shouldn't have done that. I should have looked at it at a different way, and this is the way that it should have went. We should have talked it out. We should have went X, Y, Z. I really think that once we we as parents understand that our children are not always going to be babies, they're not going to always be little, because sometimes we look at our children as children, no matter what age they are, they're still children to you, they're still that little bundle of joy, or that that little toddler running around, but they grow up, and they have to get it, because if they don't get it at home, trust and believe they're going to get it out here in the streets, and we don't want that, what we want is for our children to know that you can come home to mom and dad, be very transparent without any judgment because the world is going to judge them. The world is always going to judge them. They're going to judge them, eat them up, chew them, and spit them out and still judge them. Look at the way the world is going today. People canceling people left and right. People saying bad things about each other left and right, especially in the black community. We talk so bad about each other. 
that our children shouldn't have to go through that. We should be we should be a safe haven for our children. So when we let them go out into the world, you can rest assured that you gave your child, you equipped your child with the correct tools and knowledge and wisdom that they need to be successful adults, to be respecting adults, to not fear anyone but God. That's just my logic. I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm just saying like to me, I think that home should be a safe haven where your children can communicate with you without you um, judging them, without you pacifying them, without you um, thinking the worst of them. They should be free to express themselves, but in a respectable manner. Like, they shouldn't be coming up in your house cussing and fussing and all that other stuff. No. I think, this is just my opinion. My opinion is not always right. And sound off. Let me know. Let me know some of your parenting styles. Like, what you do. Like, I'm a young parent. I'm only 33, and my son is, what, 14, and my daughter is 8. Like, I was a young mom. I didn't know what I was doing. But through time and through trial and error, I had to learn because I didn't want to parent like my mom and I didn't want to parent like my dad. I wanted to parent to where as though it's beneficial for my family, my little family. So let me know ways to parent or how you run your household because it's not just about me and I'm always right. I told you when I started this podcast, I'm not always right. I could be wrong. There's some some somewhere shape form in this whole um equation or this whole topic today about um parenting that I'm wrong. And I'm the type of woman who don't have to always be right. That's just me. I don't have to always be right. I don't have to um, always, you know, be on top, if that's if that makes any sense or whatever. I know how to humble myself and I know when to take in information and I know when I'm wrong and admitting when I'm wrong and take accountability of my actions. That's one thing you don't ever have to worry about me. I'm going to always take accountability of my actions. But let me know. Let me know from your point of view. You know, do I have a point? Am I wrong? Am I right? Do you think that there should be an open line of communication between the child and the parent? Do you think that they should come to you with any and everything? No matter how cringing, no matter how bad or good it is, that your child should be safe to converse with you, safe to let all of it out or lay it all on the table with you. I think so. Because then you have, because then you don't have children who fall into depression or have all this anxiety because they have so much stuff that they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis with their social life and what they look like or what they do or what they don't do how they're how they learn and you know in school and friends they have so much going on whereas though us old schoolers we didn't have social media so you know we didn't have to deal with the cyberbullying. And in, in our day, when we had a bully, we fought them and we moved on. We fought them, moved on. We were friends the next day and we kept it pushing. Now, bullying leads to people committing our kids. Forget grown-ups right now, but our kids committing suicide, contemplating suicide, contemplating killing themselves, writing out... Uh, it starts at home. If your children does not feel safe at home, where are they going to feel safe? And I can do better as a parent. I'm not saying it's all y'all fault. I can do better as a parent. I know I can. I want to. Because I don't know what I would do if I lose my children to selfless violence. 
suicide, whatever. I don't want that for my children. I want my children to to have it all. Live their lives. I want to be a grandma. I know some people are, you know, they don't want to get old, but I don't mind getting old. I don't mind having my grandkids. I don't mind getting old because old brings wisdom and knowledge and so much. We need our old generation because we're there for the younger generations when people are not there for them. Specifically their parents. Giving your child everything does not substitute for the emotional health of your child. That's just my opinion. And I'm going to put a pin in it right there because this is a a very sensitive subject. Um, I do want to have someone on the show who is maybe a teenager or who is going through with their parent or whatever the case I don't I want to I want to hear from uh uh not a child but a teenager's point of view or someone if you're older living with your parents whatever I want to hear from them so we can it could be a dialogue I don't want to just be me but uh, I'm gonna put a pin in right there I thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of this black love thank you guys for the support thank you guys for sharing thank you for my consistent listeners I love you so 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 much to my new listeners hello how are you I'm Jay Marie (laughs) and this is this black love and I love my black people I love my black community I love our people and I want better for us I really do it's not about tearing you down but sometimes you gotta tear yourself down to build yourself back up I'm in that process myself okay I want you to take that little tidbit because that's something that we need to know sometimes we have to tear ourselves all the way down to the white meat so we can build ourselves right back up into the person that they're meant and supposed to be I will see you guys next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will see you guys next week on Friday, the last Friday of Black History Month, and we're gonna do it big. I have another um, Black History person that I wanna go over with you guys to close out the month of October. I mean, mm, Lord have mercy, close out the month <laughs> of February. Lord have mercy. That lets you know we need to be talking about Black History Month all throughout the year, not just February. But I thank you guys for listening from far and wide. I thank you guys for sharing far and wide. I thank you guys for being loyal supporters, new supporters, all of that. I just thank you guys so much from the bottom of my heart. I love you guys truly. I may not know you, but the love is real. All positive vibes 2021. And I will see you guys next week on This Black Love. Peace.